Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Silicon Valley podcast, Silicon Valley review podcast. Is it Silicon Valley podcast review? No. No. It's Because we're not reviewing someone else's podcast. Correct. Do you think anyone else is out there reviewing our podcast? Absolutely not. <laughs> but I, I do think there are other people out there reviewing Silicon Valley. Yes. Not with as much energy and fun as we're having and definitely not with as much insight. I don't think there are any other venture attorneys who are reviewing Silicon Valley. That's a that's a strong opinion. It's well, do a, you agree? A hot sports opinion. I, I have no basis to to make a claim as to whether or not that's true. If or you can not. find one, email us. We'll go we'll battle royale with him on Silicon Valley review. So this is our podcast. I'm Kevin. I'm Aaron. We're reviewing Silicon Valley. Today we're talking about Season 4, Episode 8, The Keenan Vortex, which is 4.36, right? So 36th episode overall, 8th episode of Season 4. All right, Aaron, let's jump right into it. Okay. So The Keenan Vortex is the name of the the title of the show. This thing starts off with Ehrlich with a broken foot. Yeah. I did not recall. There's a little continuity issue because I don't recall him breaking his foot. But Ehrlich has somehow convince Keenan to negotiate what they're calling a key man clause into the investment deal with Bream Hall. So when they said key man clause, Aaron, is this what you were thinking about? No, no. I mean, typically, uh, you know, key man coverage or key man um, clauses in, in contracts that I see usually have to do with making sure that you have a key man insurance policy that covers your founders or your key employees or, you know, any person who's um, who's integral to the success of the company, you want to make sure that you have an insurance policy covering that in case something happens to them and then they can't provide services to the company anymore. Yeah, so key man is really focused on a key holder. So it wouldn't be uncommon for there to be a key man clause on, key, on uh, Keenan. Right. Right? Right. But to have one on Ehrlich, now, so this is totally unusual. However, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, contractually speaking, or legally speaking, if you wanted to draft a provision in your contract which says this must occur, as long as that provision isn't unconscionable or isn't illegal, there's no reason why it wouldn't happen. I mean, if Keenan Feldspar wanted to draft a provision into his investment docs with Bream Hall that says on the third Thursday of every month, you must deliver a million maybe a million a hundred green m&ms to me that's possible now a, a million a million might be unconscionable that, that probably unconscionable right, right. because a, a term that's impossible or, or very difficult to, to hit now if he, if he keenan felspar said you must deliver a baby boy to me on the first thursday of every month that would be unenforceable right it'd be you know that provision would be illegal now you might have a severability clause in the contract, which would just get rid of the unenforceable provisions. The rest of the provisions would stay. But yeah, so the whole key man clause, I wish they hadn't call, called it that because in the venture world, key man clauses are pretty significant and they do come up a lot relating to founders. Well, and I think you know, you also run into the whole, you know, key holder clauses in a lot of these financing documents that we see. So that's the other thing I want to talk about is for those of you out there who are in the process of raising capital, who have raised capital or will in the future. There's a good chance you'll have to get key man insurance for the founders and the key stakeholders, but also there will be a key holder clause, which means the key holders, the material owners of the business, not the investors, 
but the material employees or co-founders, usually who own at least 1%, maybe 5% or greater, will be bound to certain obligations if they want to transfer their shares or sell their shares to a third party. Pretty typical stuff for Series A and later financing. Or obligating them to vote in a certain way. Or obligating them to vote in a certain way. Thank you. Yes, yes. You might get the key holders locked up, at least for the, until, for the duration of that round while you're in the A round until you get to your next round. Get the key holders to agree to vote in a certain way. So that's what we're the first part, you know, the first kind of topic that I want to discuss. Uh, diving into the flow of the show, we've got this issue where the Pied Piper guys are having storage problems. They're exceeding their storage limits. And because Melcher's insurance company is getting flooded with claims, and the reason why it's getting flooded with claims is because it's cold in San Francisco, and this is causing everyone to act erratically. We... I think a parallel to that here, Aaron, would be when it snows in Texas or when yeah. ice is over in Texas. Yeah, when it dips right. below freezing. Right. Yeah. People, this is a, another conversation. They say people freak out. I don't think that people really freak out here. Do you? No, but you get the drivers in Dallas that continue to drive the exact same way as if yeah. there weren't, you know, there there weren't ice or snow or sleet or rain. I mean, even when it rains, I think people continue to drive. You know, they're 90 miles an hour down the freeway and expect that they're going to have perfect traction without making you know, pr- appropriate adjustments. So the show touches on this notion that in San Francisco, it gets a little cold. People start freaking out. As a result, the insurance company is being flooded with claims because the insurance company is flooded with claims. And they have that funny picture where they pan to the uh, to the open area and there's just the mail cart girls. The insurance office, yeah. It's not really, it doesn't look to be that much activity. But anyway, this is causing people or the people inside the insurance company to use more of the, uh, more storage and to use more processing. And this is putting a strain on Pied Piper servers. So Pied Piper determines that if they get one more paying customer, they could use those funds from the paying customer to pay the increased storage charges while they kind of figure out, you know, this this whole new it internet. Seems seems a little Ponzi scheme right. to me. Just get the next guy. And I'm curious how far this will go, right? Like I feel like they've created this problem now that Pied Piper needs money. And, you know, for those of you who made it to the end of the show, they didn't really reconcile that problem yet because Keenan's VR company is not going to sign up with Pied Piper and they did not get acquired. So that problem will that issue will uh, will exist or persist. So they approach Feldspar to see if he will sign up for their service. And initially he says, you know, he, he wants to talk to about him. Then we have this whole uh, sequence of events where Dinesh and Guilfoyle become best friends with Keenan and they're hanging out at his house and they're wearing custom pajamas, custom matching pajamas. And they integrate their technology, their middle out technology into Keenan's technology did you have any issues with that aaron uh, quite a few actually okay let's talk about well, it. well i mean it's just it seems a little odd that you have the you know two of your key tech guys giving away your company's technology for free to an outsider so if they had an employment agreement in place that probably breached the confidentiality provisions of their employment agreement which they, I do remember them signing a bunch of docs very early on, but that was several iterations of the company ago. So I don't know if they have employment agreements in place for this current version of the company or not. Most likely they signed some sort of founder's IP agreement, an IP right. assignment, which is a critical, critical doc for those of you out there. You got to make sure you get the IP out of the founder's heads and into the company. And you do that through an IP assignment. So that 
discussing their technology with Feldspar, Keenan Feldspar might have breached that. Well, and, you know, so without getting too far into the weeds on intellectual property law, you know, to the extent that they have intellectual property that's, you know, not covered by patent, trademark, or copyright, it's probably going to be under the, you know, under the protection of trade secret. And if they're giving that away, that sort of blows up your trade secret protection. So you've got all of these issues. Now, let's talk about this from very odd, but, you know, they've got a right, they've got a story to tell here. So from Keenan's perspective, right, if these developers want to come over to his apartment or house and work on his code and integrate this technology into his virtual reality platform, does Keenan have anything to worry about? I think yes and no. I mean, right now, I don't think he has any any problems because, you know, it's not like he stole this information. These guys gave him the information. They gave him the technology. Um, I think when he goes out and raises money, there might be an issue because a typical rep in these financing documents says that that he owns or has, you know, a right or license to use all the intellectual property necessary to continue operating the business the way it's been operated. So that's a great point. He needs some sort of right to use that technology. Now, the right might be, hey, these guys came over, they gave it to me for free. And if he can establish that and if that's protectable, then I don't have a problem with that. I think the investors' council might have some. That's correct. They might, that. or the guys might say they were drinking, or they were stoned, and they didn't know what they were doing. There's a lot of issues that come out of that. You don't deal with this all that often. However, I will say, from the recipient's perspective, if someone wants to come and just give you information, you don't necessarily have an obligation to ask them. Hey, are you breaching anything? Like every time someone tells me something, I don't have the time to ask him. Are you allowed to tell me this? Let's get outside the realm of, of attorney-client privilege information. But just in general, if two people are talking about business, it's not the recipient's obligation to ensure that the person disseminating the information has crossed off the, you know, the proper, uh, has checked the proper boxes in order to disseminate that information. So Keenan might have an issue, yes, getting back to his investors and repping warranting how he got or, or that he owns that information. But in general, if those dudes want to come over and Gilfoyle and uh, Dinesh will come over and just code away, then if I'm Keenan, at a minimum, I'm saying code away. Whether I use it or not right. Right, is in the future, but I could always grab it, let my engineers look at it, let them decompile it, learn from it. Mm-hmm. So very odd, and, and I think Hendricks had a good reaction to this. He was pretty upset that they hadn't done this. But I feel like Hendricks, Richard Hendricks was more upset that they had just gone over there and spent time with him. Right? Like right. Richard feels like he's losing his friends here. He didn't make a, as big a deal about this, about them just giving up their critical uh, intellectual property as I would expect to happen if this were real life. Okay, what's going on over at Hooli, Aaron? Uh, they're getting ready for their HooliCon. HooliCon's coming up, and then Jack gets the, uh, gets the news that the box two is delayed. Yeah. And he kind of implies, like, are we talking about a couple of days here, a couple of weeks? I think they said two quarters. Yeah, was the answer. It was way the heck off. Yeah, right, Hulicon's a week away, so not getting done by Hulicon. So Jack is flipping out. It leads him to review some old tape of Gavin. He sees how amazing Gavin was up on stage. You know, they're obviously paralleling what you see with Tim Cook doing at you know the Apple release this week, or that a lot of CEOs of big tech companies do now, where they do these big kind of conferences and and the OG. Who? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs used to do, of course. Black turtleneck. Of course. So Jack's got to come up with something quick. 
So you, that's a neat way of kind of tying together what the guys are doing with their technology. Moving on through the episode, Keenan makes an offer. Let's talk about this. So, so Keenan says, you know what? Your technology is awesome. Um, how about if I buy you? And he makes what seems to be a reasonable price, and the guys seem to be on board with it. I think Dinesh or Gofoil says, why aren't we going to take this? Richard doesn't really want to take it. Richard doesn't want to give up his own company, which is, you know, as a founder, you got to have the right balance between vision and fiduciary duty to your employees or, you know, to your shareholders and your investors. Uh, but anyway, so Richard says, well, I'll just come back with a ridiculous offer, a ridiculous counter that he won't accept, and that's Richard's way of getting out of it. And Richard asked for $25 million, to which Keenan just goes and triggers the Keyman clause. Ehrlich quits Bream Hall. I don't know if he triggered the Keyman clause, but Ehrlich quits Bream Hall. Keenan undoes that deal and then goes over to Ed Chen, who's kind of the dupe, you know, who, who's being duped in all of this. He's kind of like the, uh, the, the VC idiot is what they're casting him as. And Ed gives him 3X. Right, $75 million. There are so many crazy and uh, improbable deals being made in this episode. Right, right. just this one episode. Right. That Feldspar would take, would buy them out for $25 million. And then that you would go, I mean, in all the deals we've done, I can think of, you know, hundreds of deals we've done. I can think of once or twice. I can think of once recently when Investor backed out pretty late stage. In that case subjectively from the investor's perspective that investor had good reason he had an, he, what he thought was a material issue from our perspective our client's perspective we did not at all think it was a material issue however it wasn't enough to litigate over we'd only signed a term sheet look when you get to a term sheet man just about always those things are not binding right but i'm trying to think back here i've never seen a situation where the company backs out have you no but i've seen situations where um you know a company and an investor are doing the dance they've signed a term sheet they're you know, proceeding with documents and then, you know, maybe circumstances at the company change and yeah. now the company thinks it's worth more. And so I've seen situations where the company's gone back and negotiated for a higher valuation. Right. And I would say if we if we have 10 term sheets, I would say seven of them get done almost identically to the term sheet, maybe eight of them. One of them may be some modifications, but they're justifiable either up or down. Not even one in 10 falls up, falls through. Once you get a signed, signed term sheet, maybe so. Maybe 10% of them fall. I mean, I, I can see, you know, yeah, if you get a signed term sheet, you know, that's probably going to kick off the due diligence process. And, you know, there might be something that comes up in, in the diligence process that, that blows up the deal. Of course. And that's the point of diligence. But, man, thinking back on it, I'm sure it's more than one in 10. Once you get to due diligence, I feel like the investors are pretty interested. You know, they, they really want to do the deal. We just don't see a lot of deals blow up in due right. diligence. Yeah. Not early. I see more late stage stuff blow up or more private equity deals that we work on get blow up in right. due diligence. But that makes sense because early stage companies, there generally isn't a lot of due diligence to do. Yeah. Right. They have founders. As long as they're just being honest about owning the IP and those founders have all signed their restricted stock purchase agreements and their IP assignments. What else is there? I mean, the right. investors have seen their MVP or their deck and that's mm -hmm. really all there is. Yep. So that would make sense. Anyway, in this case, so Feldspar backs out of Bream Hall, which was, an awful thing to do, right? Bream Hall's a new VC, so they don't really care about that relationship. They go to Ed Chen. Ed Chen gives them $75 million. Now, Aaron, if a typical VC round is going to take 20% of the company, $75 million, or was it 20? It was, it was $60 million. It was 60 20 million. before, so yeah, 60. 60. So Chen gives them 60. 
Is that 300? 300 post money. So if yep. you have $240 million pre-money valuation. Just on, a, on a pre-revenue company? A pre-revenue. I think really a pre-MVP company. Right. And so you guys understand the way Aaron and I are doing that is you take the value of the company pre-money, meaning before any investment comes in. So in this scenario, we're talk, talking $240 million. Then you add the investment dollars to it to get your post money valuation. So 240 plus 60 million in value in, in investment would be $300 million. Then you take the investor money, 60 over the total value, 300, and that's the investor's ownership. So 60 over 300 is one over five or 20%. But pre money valuation and post money valuation, very, very important for our industry. So anyway, that'd be a ridiculous valuation, which again might happen if you're Mark Zuckerberg starting the next thing, or, you know, uh, I don't know, this is probably kind of like what Theranos was getting. And, you know, we saw what happened with Theranos. So Feldspar gets that money. He makes a $25 million offer to, to Pied Piper. They initially say, yes, they have that big party. And then they, they have that big party and then they back out on the deal, right? They decide, so I'm sorry, Keenan Felsbar backs out on the deal because Hooley comes in and buys him at the last minute. Right. For terms that are undisclosed, that makes sense. Jack, we didn't have any sort of, the show didn't cover this. There wasn't Jack having an aha moment. There wasn't Jack negotiating with Keenan. But when they said that we got bought out, what Jack was going through earlier in the show leads us all to believe or understand that Hooley bought them out. I'm sure that will be announced. He needs something to give the investors, to give the press, to give everybody at HooliCon. That's an interesting point right there, Aaron. He needs something to give the investors, right? So is Jack acting rationally in this moment, right? Is this what's best for the company? I think it all depends on how much he bought uh, the Keenan's company for. Let's make some assumptions here. So let's assume that Keenan's company did just raise a $300 million valuation, okay? A $300 million post money valuation. What would Keenan be willing to sell there? Edgehen's going to have $60 million in liquidation preference, and he's got to get that mm-hmm. $60 million out. I don't necessarily think Keenan needs to get the full $300 million. No. It doesn't look like there's a lot of other investors or there's many other uh, shareholders. He's selling for at least $60 million, right? Because the money's right. for sure going out. And Keenan had a pretty hot technology or idea. So my guess is Keenan needs at least $20, $40 million in his pocket. So I think they sold for at least $100 million, if not the $300 million valuation, post-money valuation right. you know, after the uh, the Raviga investment. I, I was saying Ed Chen, but remember, Ed Chen works for Raviga. Well, and it, yeah. So, I mean, if, if Keenan, assuming that, you know, let's just assume worst case scenario and he sold, or best case scenario, I guess, he sold the company for $300 million. You know, looking at Hooli as the Google slash Apple of this fictional TV show, $300 million is going to be a lot of money to that company, but also probably not that big of a yeah, deal. Yeah, it might not even be enough to let Jack, to have Jack terminate or fired. But again, the point is, Aaron, Jack gets Real worked up because his team has let him down. They're not ready to deliver with the second version of the box. And he can't do his jack in the box. He can't do his jack in the box, which I thought was hilarious. And so he's just doing something to have something to present to the investor, to present yeah, to his investors and shareholders and kind of the, the media at HooliCon. Obviously, don't get caught up in this. Don't do something just for this benefit of your 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 shareholders or what you think is their benefit. Because really, he's now got at least a hundred to three hundred million dollar. What Monica thinks is a piece of shit, right? right. So it's just going to be a total loss based on what we're hearing from Monica. Uh, one last point I want to cover, Aaron, before we wind this down is oh, I just lost out my notes. 
Oh, at the end of it, when Monica does release to Richard or reveal to Richard that, look, Keenan Feldspar's technology is amazing on a $10,000 machine. No one has $10,000 machines. They have $500 machines in their pockets. He can't scale the platform down. And that makes sense, right? You know, he can't. That's why the best computing games, you can't play them on a, a little wimpy laptop or even on a console. You have to have an amazing computer because it requires so much horsepower and processing power. So that makes sense. Monica very well could be right here. But I thought what she said to Richard was interesting. When Richard says, well, I need some funding, she says, if you can get Melcher's data onto a stable network, I'll fund. And in my mind, that's the same thing as investors saying, get me a single, happy, paying customer. Prove that this works. Richard's already proved that someone will buy it. All right? So he's cleared that hurdle. He hasn't proved that it works, and he hasn't proved that someone will continue to buy it. And that's the next hurdle we're trying to get to. All right. I think that wraps up my thoughts for season eight, episode, season four, episode eight. Aaron, any closing thoughts? None. Okay. Well, appreciate it. Thanks for listening in. You can reach us at VelaWoodLaw.com, uh, our twiddle, Twitter, twiddle, do we have a Twitter handle? Our Twitter and Instagram handles are at VelaWoodLaw. Email us, podcast at VelaWoodLaw.com. Look for the show notes on the website. Check out our website. If you go to VelaWoodLaw.com, click on blogs, you'll see the most recent entries. You can click on the show notes here. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Please review us. I think we have one review so far, and that was Aaron. Yeah. Give it a, five stars. Five, thank you. Five stars. Appreciate that. That really means a lot to me. But please review us. It'd be very helpful for us. If you have any ideas, comments, or questions, we'd love to hear them. Thank you. Thank you.